Lord, I just thank you for this day and for this time together to come and hear your word. Um, we thank you for this body of Christ, Lord, just, just how we love each other, Lord, how we're a community here, a family, Lord. And I just thank you for each new person that you bring in to join this family, Lord. It's just, we're so grateful. And I just pray that today now that you would open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds as we are ending our book of John. And we just pray that as we, as we end this beautiful gospel of your life, Lord, that we would fall more and more in love with you. And that we would, we would just grow more in worship and in awe of everything that you did. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know there's a few of you who actually don't like happy endings in movies. You consider yourself kind of artsy or a little edgy, and you like that those kind of movies that leave everybody hanging, you know, that they don't resolve anything. It's kind of like, it was kind of a, I feel like it was a fad not too long ago where they, you know, movies came out and then they ended and you're like, that's how it's ending. Like, what's wrong with this movie? And, you know, it's even better, right, if everyone just dies, right? That just, you just makes your day. You know, you got this great movie that leaves you just so depressed. Um, I kind of think about Rogue One from Star Wars is a little bit like that. Um, spoiler alert. It's from seven years ago, people, so if you don't know by now, it's too late for you. Um, but, you know, Rogue, Rogue One, if you'll recall, everyone dies at the end. <laughs> it's in the middle of the Star Wars series, so it was right before the one that was made 30 years prior, so they couldn't have any of those young people, you know, in the 30 years ago movie, and none of the old people from the 30-year-old movie could were in this one. So, like, they had to kill everyone off, but it was so depressing. <laughs> I hate movies like that, okay? If there's some horrible thing happening in a movie, do not recommend it to me. I, I feel like life is hard and tragic enough in its own reality that I want to go and be entertained with something happy. That's me, okay? Um, I, maybe I'm shallow. I don't know. But, but here's what I'm going to tell you today. We're going to end the book of John, this gospel of John that we've been in for many weeks, and I, it's got a great ending, <laughs> Okay, it's a really happy ending. I know that you know what the ending is. Jesus rises from the dead. Woo! Hallelujah. That's how it ends. And not only that, though, it's really interesting because not only does it end with a happy ending, but it's like Jesus went around and tied up all the loose ends before he left. He went around to all his people, all his disciples, the individuals, and met them right where they are and spoke to them, and brought them back into their purpose, back into relationship with him. It is so spectacular. It's a perfect kind of movie, if you ask me. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now I'm going to just give you just a tiny review, so remember where we've been. If you hadn't, didn't get a chance to jump on this series, you can go on our podcast, you can go on YouTube, you can go on our website, and you can go all the way back. It goes back to September, if you can believe it, people. We've been really good. We've gotten through this. But the first half of John was called the book of what? Anybody remember? First half, the book of signs. Right, it was the book of signs. Unlike any of the other books, any of the other gospels, John starts way at the beginning of time. Right, he doesn't start just at the beginning of Jesus' life on earth. He goes all the way back to the beginning and he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Nothing was made that, had not, that was made without his, that he didn't make. And so that's how the thing starts. Right off the bat, John is like, this person we're talking about here is God. He's the son of God. He's divine. He is holy. And he makes no bones about it. And then he proceeds to show us the seven signs. That's why it's called the book of signs. Seven signs that all point to the divinity of Jesus, that he really is God in the flesh, walking amongst us. And so if you remember what the different signs were, the changing of water into wine, the healing of the royal official's son, 
the healing of the paralytic at the pool, the feeding of the 5,000 people with fishes and loaves, walking on water, the healing of a man poor and blind, and then culminating in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the seven signs. Now, it's not like Jesus only did seven miracles. He did many, many other miracles. He cast out demons. He healed many, many people. He fed the 5,000 a couple times, or fed 5,000, then 4,000. He fed people, multiplied food several times. In fact, John even says at the end of his book, in John 21, he says, Jesus did many other things as well. And he makes this cute little comment. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So Jesus did a lot, okay? What we see in our Gospels is just a slice of what Jesus did while he was here. And so John is highlighting, though, these seven signs to emphasize the completeness of what Jesus did. Remember, seven is a, is a number of completeness in the Bible. It's of fulfillment. Remember last time, fulfilled. <laughs> it was, you know, it was everything fulfilled. Seven is the number of fulfillment and completion. And so together we have these signs which point to the divinity of Jesus. And then we proceeded to chapters 13 to 21, the second half. Anybody remember? It was the book of glory. Thank you. So the book of glory. Um, notably, it goes from his public ministry, which was in the first half of John, to his private ministry. Now in the book of glory, it's all Jesus teaching his own disciples. It starts with this intimate act of him washing their feet. Right? And then he teaches them all this, this wonderful, deep teaching about abiding with Christ, about having, being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and walking by the Spirit. And so he's, he's really doing leadership training. It's like I'm leaving and i got to make sure my, my people, my leaders, know what the heck is going to happen and what they're meant to do. And so he really pours into them. And then, of course, we get into the arrest and the beating and the crucifixion of Jesus. And today we're going to get to the resurrection. Hallelujah. So that is the course of this book. Anyone remember why John wrote this book? Why do it? So you would believe. In John 20, he says it right at the end here. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Life. Say life. Life. You're going to have life if you believe. As you read this book, it brings life. And so I hope it's brought life to you to go through this book um, this last couple of months. And so we're going to end this thing today with the resurrection, John 20. And, you know, I know you all know the story, but we tend to only really talk about it on Easter, the actual resurrection story. And I think it's too good a story to only do on Easter. <laughs> so we're going to really talk about it today. Let's read from John 20, verses 1 to 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, very Peter-like, right? He goes racing ahead of the other disciple. He goes in, and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not still understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Very simple account of an incredible event. 
And I love the action images here. We've got Mary, who's like, well, how did this huge stone get rolled away? We've got the Peter and the other disciples, like, racing to the tomb, and then one of them racing in front. They're picking up those strips of linen. What's happening? There's like an action scene here. And it's interesting that John goes into so much detail about the linen and the cloth. I thought that was kind of strange. He saw, it says he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that has been wrapped. So there's strips of linen around the body, and then a separate cloth, right, for the head. And it says the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Why all this detail about a few strips of cloth on Jesus? There's a few different thoughts about this, but one of the most clear is that this is not the only resurrection story talked about in the book of John. Anyone remember what the last of the seven signs were in the first half of John? Lazarus. See, there's two resurrections in John, Lazarus and Jesus. And so if you look at the story of Lazarus, if we go backwards a little bit to John 11, it's interesting. John also gives us a lot of detail about the cloth. You might have missed it the first time around. In John 11, 43 to 44, it says, When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Remember, the dead man was in the tomb for four days. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. More detail about the strips of linen. Why? See, Lazarus came out wearing his grave clothes. But Jesus left those grave clothes behind. See, there was nothing of death left on Jesus. There was nothing of mortality left on Jesus. Lazarus may have been raised from the dead, but he was still in his mortal body. He would still die. He's not still alive today here on the earth. He still had to die, but Jesus was raised immortal. What you, they saw that day was his resurrection body, and he was eternal. From that point on, there was no death on him. He had conquered death. Death had no hold on him, not even linen strips on his body. What an image. You don't catch it if you don't catch it, right? But if you catch it, you see, wow, the power of God. He conquered death, the power of Jesus. And so it's interesting that there's so many details recorded about this, so many um, witnesses of what happened um, that could, should bring confidence to your faith. We don't need to doubt the resurrection from the dead. There are very few people who have truly studied all the evidence for the resurrection of Christ and still walked away from it. Very few. There, there are some, but there's very few because once you've studied it, there are so many evidences of faith. Now, many people don't bother to study it. Or sometimes we know it's true in the back of our mind, but we just really don't want to bend the knee to Jesus and, and make him Lord of our life. So we might reject it then. But I'm just telling you today that you can have confidence as a believer in Christ that he was raised from the dead immortal. This happened so much, so much points to it. These are written so that you may believe. So you may believe. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what Jesus did after he rose from the dead. Because this is where I just love how he tied up, like I said, all the loose ends of the story, of the movie. All the people he, he connected with after his resurrection and ministered to them. It's like going back to when he was doing his private ministry just to his disciples, it's like he went back to all those disciples and made sure they knew what was going on and, and connected with them. They were all in need of help and encouragement and direction and an explanation and faith. And he came and met with each one of them right where they were. And so we're just going to go through them. There's five of them, all right? So we're just going to hit these five uh, and, and see what God did for each one of them. Let's start with Mary Magdalene. Good old Mary Magdalene. John 20, 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it, is it that you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said those things to her. Remember who Mary is. Mary had been greatly touched and healed by Jesus. She was filled with seven demons. He cast them out of her, taking her from being a desperate outcast to now a follower, a follower in his inner circle. And I'm thinking that Mary had all her hopes and expectations that for the rest of her life she was going to follow Jesus. She was going to go and help him and do whatever he needed for his ministry. He was going to be the center of her life. And now he's dead. And not only that, his body's not even there for her to tend to. So she is heartbroken and Jesus meets her just where she is. And he says the thing that's going to make her heart swell. He says her name. It's one of the most sweet little moments in scripture, I think. Because when Jesus says your name, your name, you recognize it. It's like she didn't recognize him before that. We don't know if his resurrection body looked all that. It must have looked somewhat different from his earthly body. But she didn't recognize him. But then when he said her name, he recognized her. Jesus is saying your name. Listen for it, and you'll recognize that it's Jesus if you're truly listening for his name. And so Jesus renewed her. He called her by name, and then, of course, he gave her the most glorious and gracious gift of all. He allowed her to be the first one to see the resurrected Jesus. It's pretty amazing. She was a demoniac. I mean, she would have been the lowest of the low, and a woman, mind you, who's witness whose testimony wouldn't even have borne witness in court nobody would have listened to her but he showed up for her first what a gift what a gift he restored her he renewed her let's go on to the disciples so now in john 20 19 on the evening of this first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the jewish leaders jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you after he said this he showed them his hands and sighed the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples, hiding, hiding in a locked room, timid and afraid, not sure of what's supposed to be happening next. And what does Jesus do? He meets them again right where they are. He doesn't rebuke them for being afraid and having a locked door. No, he just appears through the door. I would have loved to have been there, right? All of a sudden, poof, there's Jesus. Uh, did he come through like a ghost, you know, or did he just like pop into the place? I don't know. But he just appeared before him, them, and showed him that he's helping them put the dots together that he rose from the dead. And he brings them faith. And then he does even more, right? He, he breathes on them. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He re-empowers them to do his work. He says, I'm sending you. He re-engages them into their ministry. He, he, he restores them. To the, to the disciples that they should be doing his work. 
Egypt. He met them right where they were and re-empowered and recommissioned them. Let's go to Thomas. Thomas is one of my favorites. Next part is so touching to me. Jesus isn't just dealing with the group, but he's dealing with individuals. He dealt with Mary, who's heartbroken. Now he deals with Thomas, who's skeptical. And I kind of understand him. John 20, 24 to 25, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I kind of feel for Thomas here. He missed the big event. It's kind of like when you're at a movie and it's a long movie, so you've really got to go to the bathroom. You're like, when do I go? And you think, oh, this looks like a quiet part. So you race out of the room, right? And you, you, you go as quick as you can, and you get back. And then when you sit down, your buddy goes, you missed everything. <laughs> I mean, the main character died, the whole plot shifted, and the special effects I've never seen. And you're like, great. <laughs> Just when I went to the bathroom, of course I missed it. I feel like that here, right? There's, sometimes we feel like we're always missing out. We're always just after. I, I have to confess to you that this is how I've often felt in my Christian life, that I feel like I show up right after the move of God. <laughs> and so I remember this in college so distinctly. I showed up at this Christian group. I was kind of a new believer. I was all excited, and there was this Christian group there. It was probably about 20 people in the group. And all the upperclassmen would come, and they'd say, oh, you have no idea what this was like, like, a couple years ago, like, God was moving, we had 80, 100 kids here, people were coming in, and they were getting healed, and the Holy Spirit was present, and everything, I was like, okay, and then, you know, not, that wasn't happening, and by the time I left, the whole group had dwindled down to, like, six people, it's just the move of God, I missed it, and I felt the same way a little bit at our church in New York. We showed up to that church just in our 20s, and they were like, yeah, we just built this huge building. It was 400 people in the, in, the surf, in the services. You know, we built this huge building, and God was really moving. But, yeah, now we only have like 100, and then it just kept dwindling <laughs> from there. And I was like, I just missed it. I relate to Thomas. And I just want to tell you something. If I can say it. That what God has done through you in the last year and a half that I've been here has healed my heart. <laughs> because I've watched God move through you. I'm getting to see it. I'm getting to see God move and God sa salvations and recommitments and God healing. I cannot even tell you how much it has ministered to my soul to watch you let God move in your life. That's how it should be, people. It's not like I bring the power. It's not like, no, it's God is moving, and as we let him move, we're going to encourage each other in faith. God meets us right where we are. And so he met Thomas, and sometimes he's going to meet us in the not seeing, and sometimes he's going to meet us in the seeing. And for Thomas, he said, you need to see this, because i got work for you to do. He's gonna, he was going to go on to be an apostle of the Lord from that point on. And so here's what Jesus does for Thomas in 26, verse 26 to 29. A week later, his disciples were in his house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God, how kind and generous of God. Amen? 
How kind. And the last thing he said to Thomas gives me great hope. If we still are in the place where we don't see, he says this. I held on to this verse. Actually, I still hold on to it. In verse 29, Jesus then told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So in the seeing or the not seeing, we are all blessed. Amen. Amen. God met him right where he was. Now we go on to the fishermen. A bunch of the subset of the disciples who are fishermen uh, came together on verse 1 of John 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Jebedee, and two other disciples were together. So it's a good number of the disciples. And he says, I'm, they said, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, he answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. We've seen this story before, haven't we? <laughs> He's done this miracle before. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. He recognized it, right? When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There was fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. We have the actual number of fish, 153 precisely. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said this lovely thing to them. He said, come and have breakfast. I love that. Jesus wants you to come and have breakfast. So come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. I love how he just welcomes them into fellowship around eating. <laughs> it just says, come and have breakfast. You might ask, what were they doing fishing anyway? They had already seen the Lord. They'd been breathed upon by the Holy Spirit. They'd been told they're supposed to go out. So what were they doing? In fact, some commentators are really rough on the disciples here, like they shouldn't, this was a sign of their sin. I don't think so. I think they still didn't know what the heck we're supposed to do next. <laughs> and I think they were puzzled, and I think they thought we're just going to do what we know how to do, where we first met the Lord. That's where those fishermen first met the Lord was in fishing. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the basics and see if we can figure out what we're meant to do next. And so th that's what they did. And Jesus met them where they were. He met them right there, and he reminded them of who he was, right? He gave them that miracle again of filling up the net with fish where they had just fished for hours. And then he said, let's eat together. I'm not done with you yet. Let's share a meal. And he gave them new purpose and new hope. We've got one more, big one, Peter. He had to restore Peter. Because remember, Peter was really dejected by this point. He had denied the Lord. And so he takes special time with Peter. I th of course, Jesus knows how important Peter will be to the church. We have, if you go to Rome, there's a huge cathedral called St. Peter's Cathedral. <laughs> like, he, he became the rock upon which the church was formed. Everyone knows his name. Uh, he was going to be so important. But, of course, he, Peter didn't know any of that. All he knew was that he denied the Lord in his moment of need outside that, that in that courtyard while Jesus was being connected, being um, questioned. And Jesus doesn't talk about any of that. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't berate him. Instead, this is what he says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you did not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. Jesus was making it so clear to Peter, I've forgiven you for all three denials. He does three questions. All three. Not just the last one, not just the first one. All three, I forgive you. And not only that, I'm restoring you and I'm giving you charge of my most precious possession, my bride, my church. I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. I'm giving you, I'm, I'm trusting you with this. And it's not going to be an easy commission, Peter. It's going to be a hard commission. And we know Peter ended up being martyred for his faith as well. But he reconciled with him. He reinstated him. He renewed him. He redeemed him from his failures. Amen. Do you see how Jesus went around to each person in his inner circle, and he made sure that they were restored, that they were brought back into relationship with him? Mary, the disciples, Thomas, the fishermen, Peter, he met them right where they are and gave them exactly what they needed to see and hear. I have a, the professor who's actually taking us on our Holy Land trip, um, Dr. Laniac, used to say this in one of my Old Testament classes. He said, we have a re-God, R-E-Dash. We have a re-God because he is always renewing, redeeming, reinstating, refreshing. He's always re-things. He's doing it again and again. And he's taking us where we are and he's redoing what we need. And he's renewing us when we need it. And he's refreshing us when we need it. And this is the re-God that we have. And we see this, that God doesn't just leave us and these folks where we, they were, but he comes and meets them where they are. And he does the re-God thing. And so if you see Jesus renewed Mary Magdalene, giving her back her hope and her purpose. Jesus recommissioned the disciples, sending them out to do his work. He re-empowered them by breathing the Holy Spirit on them. Jesus reassured Thomas that he hadn't been forgotten, that he would be, have his doubts answered. Jesus reunited the fishermen. He had breakfast with them. And then he reminded them of who he was. He was Lord over all creation. He had something for them to do. Jesus reinstated Peter, reassuring him that his sins were forgiven and that he would be the rock upon which Jesus would plant his church. The re-God, the re-God, renewing, recommissioning, re-empowering, reassuring, reuniting, redeeming, resurrecting, reviving, refreshing. That's what our God does. Someone say amen. amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for being the re-God in our lives. And so I ask you today, what kind of re do you need? Do you need reinstating? Maybe you feel like you've walked away a long time. Do you need redeeming? You've never been able to know that your sins are forgiven. Jesus will redeem you, take you from an old way of life and bring you into newness. Do you just need refreshing? Because you're tired. Life's hard and long. Maybe there's a refreshing. Is there a renewing that God needs? to focus your heart more and more on him. We're going into Lent. It's a beautiful time to renew our focus on Jesus. 
to, to renew our heart for prayer and for, for being with him. What kind of re do we need? Are you guys aware that God is doing a revival right now in Asbury? If you've, uh, if you've not read about this, Google Asbury University, and you'll find tons of uh, emails uh, or um, YouTube videos and, and articles about it. Um, it's a Christian school in Kentucky right next to Asbury Seminary. Um, it's a Methodist church, a Methodist school and seminary. And God is doing something really amazing. Uh, two Wednesdays ago, they had a regular chapel service. Now, these are college kids, bleary-eyed, you know, stayed up too late. And they come into chapel, and they have a regular chapel, nothing spectacular. And then nobody wants to leave. They just stay because the presence of God is so strong. And I want to read to you this excerpt from a Christianity Today article about it because it's so beautiful what God is doing in this place. It says, after the benediction of that first, first um, chapel service, the gospel choir began to sing a final chorus, and then something began to happen that defies easy description. Susan, students did not leave. They were struck by what seemed to be a quiet but powerful sense of transcendence, and they did not want to go. They stayed and continued to worship. And they're still there. It's still going on now, people, like nine days, nine or ten days later. When I arrived, I saw hundreds of students sitting quietly. They were praising and praying earnestly for themselves and their neighbors and our world, expressing repentance, contrition for sin, interceding for healness, wholeness, peace, and justice. Some were kneeling, reading and reciting scripture. Others were standing with arms raised. Several were clustered in small groups, praying together. A few were kneeling at the altar rail. Some of them were just talking to one another, bright, bright with joy, faces bright with joy. This is the service. And they were still worshiping when I left in the afternoon. When I came back, they were still worshiping the next day. People were running toward the chapel. Probably had to go to class and then ran back to the chapel because the presence of God was there. There's no pressure or hype. There's no manipulation. There's no high-pitched emotional fervor. On the contrary, it has so far been mostly calm and serene. A mix of hope and joy and peace is indescribably strong, indeed almost palpable. A powerful, vivid sense of shalom. God's spirit revives. And he's bringing revival in this quiet, sweet way to a bunch of students, and it's now spreading from from school to school, other schools now are having these chapel services, and the Holy Spirit is just descending. See, God is the re-God. He's always reviving and renewing and refreshing, and he can do it in our lives, too. He can do it in our lives, too. Nothing that anyone did created this revival. I saw a snap of shot of the teaching that was right before the revival, and honestly, it was just kind of an ordinary teaching. Like, it wasn't like something incredible, but the Holy Spirit just decided to go Psh! God loves to do his revival work. He loves to do his renewing work, and he wants to do it in us as well. And it may look very different, but Lord Jesus, we open ourselves up to it right now. I want to just have you each one just kind of hold out your hands to God if you feel comfortable. And just ask the Lord, the re God, the re-God, to do the re-thing in your life. Revive us, Lord. Renew us, redeem us, reinstate us, reaffirm us, resurrect us, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Just to take a moment now and just the music just playing, just take a moment and let God minister to you. Open your heart to Him. The altar is open for you to come up and to pray. Invite the prayer teams to come forward and just to be ready to pray with people. As, if you can come forward, you can ask for renewal and revival. We need you. And you are the re-God. Trust you. We receive from you, God. Minister to us, Lord, your presence. Like you did to Mary and Thomas and the fishermen and the disciples and Peter. We know right where our hearts are right now.